Welcome in a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Plenty to catch up on. Another commitment in the books for Penn State. Number six in a seven-day span for the Nittany Lions as they build upon their 2020 recruiting class. We have a great in-depth conversation coming your way later on the episode uh, with 24-7 Sports National reporter Chris Hummer, who does great work for the site. Uh, You've probably read his work, whether you know it or not. He had some interesting pieces this week on analytics and how Penn State is involved at the front end and staying ahead of the curve and how teams are applying analytics to their college football recruiting efforts. Additionally, we get into the conversation on how the NCAA is responding to an interesting offseason, to say the least, of transfers and and how the waiver uh, options are going to be affected moving forward. Uh, A lot to get into with Chris. We'll do that later. But first, bring in Sean Fitz, of course. And uh, Sean, Enzo Jennings is a Penn State commitment. There are now 14 in this class, and and compared to when we were speaking and recording this show last Friday morning, what a difference in the complexion of this class. Oh, it's crazy to think about where Penn State stood a week ago and where they stood now or stand now. I mean, it's uh, it's a big jump, no doubt. There's been uh, ups and downs as we has been well documented, but Enzo Jennings comes into the class. I believe is the highest rated class now, or the highest rated prospect now on the twenty four seven sports composite. Um, really, really good uh, athlete out of Michigan, as as Alan True wrote, a verified athlete, which is something we're getting into more and more. And we're going to get to our nerd talk later with Chris Hummer, but uh, verified testing results for Enzo Jennings. He's got uh, legit size back there. Gives you a little bit of versatility as well. I mean, you you can talk to. You know, you talk to a couple people and you can go any which way on him. You could see him as a safety, which I think most people do, or you can flip him out to corner. And, you know, he's a tall corner. He's, he's a lanky guy. He can run. Um, so it gives you a little bit of flexibility and where Penn State stands with their corner situation right now after losing Josh Moten. Uh, you know, things look good, as we mentioned a week ago, for Henry Gray. Now, all of a sudden, with Derek Wingo out of the fold, that could that could have changed. Joseph Johnson, complete wild card, no matter where he commits on uh, on Tuesday when he's set to announce. So you got a little bit of flexibility there with Enzo Jennings. I think he's open to the idea of playing corner. He's mentioned it before as one of the things that, that Penn State has talked to him about. So you get some flexibility there in the back four. Uh, you got Jair Brown still back there. I think you've, there's still a bunch of guys on the board at safety and, and a couple more at corner. So you've got some options back there, and Enzo Jennings gives you the, the flexibility to, to sort of play around with some things. Yeah, Jennings, extensive snaps at cornerback for Oak Park uh, during his high school career. Would expect that to continue here in 2019. And uh, a guy, you know, we'll go through some of those verified test results. And those verified test results are something we'll get to with Chris later and and how Penn State prioritizes them. 4.64 in the 40-yard dash. Um, What really impresses me is the 4.06 shuttle time. 37-inch vertical is nothing to sneeze at as well. Um, a kid who's about six foot one, 180, 185 pounds. Uh, yeah, I th- you think he's very quality and a run defender. I wonder physically if he'll fill out to the point where he can be, you know, a thumper. I don't know if, if he'll get to that stage and be kind of a guy who's going to drop the hammer on you. But I think he's a, a very good open field tackler. Um, and and you combine that with Jair Brown, a guy that we mentioned before has versatility in the defensive backfield. You've got a few guys now. You know, Tyler Rudolph was one in the last class that that you looked at cornerback safety. Where might he end up? And, you know, they're putting together a nice group here. And and I think with Enzo Jennings, as you mentioned, being the top-ranked recruit in this class, really like the way their defense, uh, defensive class is coming along, Sean. Curtis Jacobs, you and I both got a long look at him last weekend. You know, clearly one of the premier prospects, I think, in the country. I think he's 
he's going to go down to the opening in the next few days and prove that. And we'll talk about the opening and Penn State's representation down there a little bit later here on the episode. Uh, But then Koziah Izzard coming into the class, a defensive lineman that that I've become pretty high on over the course of of the last uh, few months. And, you know, I I think things are trending in the right direction. And it kind of goes to the point of what Brent Pry. Sean Spencer, Tim Banks, Terry Smith have done, I think, defensively across the board right now, uh, from the interior all the way, you know, to to the back end of this thing, I I think they've got a nice stockpile that's going to help them out moving forward. I I really do. Yeah, I had to check the uh, composite rankings. Enzo Jennings, number 100 in the composite rankings. Curtis Jacobs right behind him, number 107. I think Curtis Jacobs is going to pass him eventually and and make himself uh, comfortably into that top 100. I could um, see him top 50 by the by signing day. Uh, I really I really could as well, just based off what we've seen. And every time you go out and see him, he looks better and he and he moves well. And yeah, I could definitely see him being a, you know a top five linebacker, a guy that's uh, you know right uh, right around. Actually, he's number six right now, so it's not really going out on a limb to say that. But a yeah, top 50 player. In, in, in my eyes. And yeah, you've got Cole Brevard and, and Keziah Izzard. You see the defensive line co- uh, class shaping up as well. Um, Fator uh, Mamulba came on, on board last week. We're watching Brandon Taylor. Brandon Taylor's got an announcement this evening. We're recording on Friday morning. He's got an announcement this evening. Is he going to commit? He hasn't come out and said it, but I think th- things sound pretty good for Penn State there. So you've got options on that defensive line. You know, maybe Taylor's an eventual three technique. Uh, maybe he stays at end. I don't know. You've got uh, some. Uh, Sean Spencer does like to play those big ends sometimes, and, and if you got more guys, you got more to play with. You can you can uh, bounce them all over the line. So we'll see that with Hakeem Beeman. We saw him do that with Kevin Givens. You you go against Iowa. You go against Wisconsin. You go against some of these power running teams. You like to have a guy like Brandon Taylor. And like I said, I like where things are trending with him right now. Um, <laughs> again, he hasn't said anything since his official visit, but it was his only official visit. He checked out Penn State. Seemed high on them coming into the trip. You know, you're not sure where Michigan stands with him. I think they they would be the primary competition. So, um, you're, if you're Penn State, you're hoping to grow the class tonight with Brandon Taylor. Yeah, Taylor, six foot three, two hundred fifty pounds, fifteen plus FBS offers, and uh, if he does indeed come on board, Sean, that means that four of your official visitors who were on campus last weekend will have ended up in your class with, within a week of leaving campus. And for people who were very doom and gloom about this class and, and Penn State's recruiting situation just a couple weeks ago, um, I think they probably exit June f- with more of a smile, if uh, maybe uh, maybe at least a feeling of equilibrium as they, they could come away here with six commitments in June versus the 4D commitments, but obviously ending on a high note. And I think, again, this is what we said. The, the official visit window was going to close. The dead period was going to hit and decisions were going to come and, and they're coming quickly. There, I mean, we've been forecasting this for a while, and I'm not sure I expected th- this flood to come at you. I mean, it's uh, it's been crazy to, to watch, and I just still don't think it's over. Um, you mentioned the, the official visitors. You still got, you know, Parker Washington official visit, officially visited last week. He might de- decide during the dead period. Joseph Johnson's going to decide on July 2nd. You can see a guy like Josh Downs, the North Carolina commit, uh, decide at any time. So, I mean, you've got— Tight end Cole Taylor out of Colorado yeah. said he could come up with a decision and soon. And he, he's probably a guy we're not talking about enough. He, he was very impressed with Penn State, and, you know, I still don't know which way that, that position is going to go. Theo Johnson's still out there. Cole Taylor's still out there. A couple of other guys as well. So I think Penn State's— in a good spot at tight end. And, and you know, maybe with, with the situation where you see Fryermuth potentially leaving early, you take two tight ends in this class where you have all the numbers to work with, where you're not necessarily clicking at every position. So that option remains out there as well. And that's the fascinating thing is you, you, you can talk numbers all you want. And Penn State, we know they're going to have a lot of scholarships available. We can't pin down the exact number right now. 
but you've got flexibility at positions just because simply you're, you're not hitting on those top guys. So you've got other options elsewhere, but you've still got quality options out there. You look at receiver, you got Keandre Lambert, you got Downs, Parker Washington, you got a bunch of guys on the board. You got, you got Florida guys that could come up for official visits in, in, uh, during the season, maybe for the whiteout, things like that, maybe possibly get them up for unofficials for the, the lash bash as well. So you've got a lot of options at receiver. You've got a lot of options at tight end. Still working on that offensive line picture. A couple of weeks ago, it looked pretty good for Penn State. Then they, they lose two taunt. They lose Aaron Parks, which I think is probably the, the bigger loss of the two. And then, you know, you're, you're just not sure. They, they offered Devin Willick this week, a, a, a big, big, big kid out of New Jersey. Um, so you're not sure which way they're going. And I think it's kind of a, a reset the board type of thing. We talked about that after signing day, uh, the December signing day. You reset your board. You go with that. Well, now with these official visits out of the way and guys deciding in June, you sort of get a chance to reevaluate where you stand. You've seen a couple of guys in camp that you wanted to get an eye on. And you sort of change how you go with things. Devin Willick didn't camp. He's set to commit July 5th. Honestly, still believe that he goes through with that. And, you know, regardless of whether or not he does decide, he could still come back and camp at the end of July and Penn State could get eyes on him there. It wouldn't be out of the question if he commits to Boston College or commits to Rutgers or something like that. He could still camp. That's not uh, it's not unprecedented. So really interesting to see how this shapes up. Willick's an offer that, you know, I'm just uh, to me. It's tough to say because he's 350 pounds. He's a big, big kid. Kind of fits the mold of what Matt Lamgrover has gone after, and that's really, as I said before, it's not really my mold um, personally. I, you know, I like to build him up rather than you know slim him down and build him up. But he obviously sees something that he likes. Yeah, and this is not the Rashid Walker mold of, of offensive lineman that that we've we've seen coming. Chaz Wright type mold, and it's <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Yeah, 350 pounds as a high school senior. Clearly, the the, the young man understands that that's not going to be a, a sustainable weight for himself and I, I'm sure his sta- the staff at Paramus Catholic has made that clear and I'm sure any college football staff that's recruiting him understands there's going to be a transformation process required before he's ready to to get reps at this level of football. Boston College, Rutgers, Georgia Tech were, were the three programs he was focusing in on here down the stretch and needless to say, all due respect to those programs, Penn State jumps in with an offer here at this stage within a week of his recruitment and I'm sure it has sent him for a loop. Now there is a significant to this date. It's not just the date he picked out randomly with July 5th. Um, Brian Doan wrote something up on this earlier. It's the uh, birthday of his older brother who passed away. So there is a major significance to and meaning to him announcing on this specific date, July 5th. Um, again, as you said, if it's not Penn State, if he doesn't feel comfortable committing to Penn State because the relationship is so fresh and doesn't really have a full understanding of what the university is about and how he could fit in, uh, I'm with you. I, I think you know if, if Penn State wants to pursue here, they're going to have every opportunity to get him on campus for game days and, and, and all that stuff. So uh, it, it will be interesting to, to monitor this, I think, offensive line in general because there was a time when, when we were saying, you know, maybe you add one more, it's the cherry on top. Now there's a more of a necessity uh, to address the offensive line. I still think you've, the perimeter to me needs to be a priority. Uh, you know, again, going back to the loss of Nana Asedu for medical reasons. And again, you get Wigan on campus for two years of eligibility. So tackle to me uh, should be continued to be uh, in the focal point as this recruiting uh, can, marches on. It has to be. And those guys are harder to find than, than interior guys. You know, fortunately, 
uh, for Penn State. There are a lot of interior guys floating around. They've had some success there. You bring in Caden Wallace, which we still, you know, are not sure if we're going to see him start his career at tackle or guard, but you've got options there. Uh, they're just, they're, they run out a lot quicker at tackle than they do at guard. So we'll see what happens there. You got guys, uh, you know, a guy I saw at, at Nike in May, James po- uh, Pogorelk from Virginia. He's an intriguing option to me, about 6'6", 270, uh, which is right in that wheelhouse of when we're talking about recruiting on analytics, which we'll get to Chris Hummer in a little bit. But when you talk about recruiting on analytics and guys that have success in the draft, you build up that athletic uh, 6'6", 270 guy into a guy that's 6'6", uh, 315, 320, that can move, that has those feet. So we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, it's tough to say. Uh, not tremendously inspired by the Willick offer. May turn out to be a tremendous player. That's obviously too early to judge that. But if you look at uh, what Penn State has done, you know, it's not the, it's not the mold that, they, that they've had the most success with. Yeah, I think there's there's a time in college football that has probably come and gone in many recruiting departments, and and I think Penn State in a lot of ways they're obviously moving on with the analytics. But I, I think there was a time when you looked at a guy who just delivered that initial punch at the high school level, huge kid, and you just see him dominate and bully kids in the trenches, and you say, all right, we'll we'll get him here and we'll get him right physically. Um, but I, I'm with you. There's something about this basketball forward kind of a flat stomach 270 pounds six foot six guys that you know these are the kind of players who maybe would want to play tight end uh that that you can just imagine you know that's the process instead of breaking down to build up you build up from that point and and we've seen what Penn State's you know weight weight program can do uh Dwight Galton company are among the best in the country I think that's been proven with the results that they've uh you know the NFL combine especially so uh something to monitor moving forward for sure um and something else to monitor in the next few days Sean the opening finals uh they get underway on Sunday, extending through July 3rd down in Frisco, Texas at the Dallas Cowboys headquarters. Uh, second year it's down there in Dallas. I, I had the pleasure, and I did not, you know, I, seriously, it was a pleasure going out there uh, four different years when, when it was out in Oregon, in Beaverton, Oregon, at Nike's World headquarters. I got to go out there four consecutive years, 2013 through 2017, I think it was. And, uh, man, what an event this is. Uh, not only do you get, you know, dozens of the best high school players in the country uh, the vast majority of them are rising seniors. will have a handful of select rising juniors who are among the best in their class. Uh, but the counselors who you get to watch interact with these kids, they are Ndamukong Sue, Richard Sherman, um, you know, the, the quarterbacks who show up at this thing, you never know who's going to show up. It's, it's, it's a Nike event. So there's a lot of tie-ins with the pros out there. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's an amazing event for these kids. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we get some Saquon Barkley footage and, and kids going nuts because he is tied in with that Nike brand at this point. So, um, long history there here though, Sean, as you well know, with, with Penn state players getting invited to this event and is an invite only event based on the, the regional camp that they put on for several months across the country um, and they, they do a great job studying film this staff does they do not base it entirely off of rankings and ratings I think they do a really nice job finding some diamonds in the rough along the way uh, but past Penn State players who have been to the opening finals and, and I got a chance to see several of these guys out there Saquon Barkley uh, Sean Clifford Micah Parsons uh, Justin Shorter 
Ricky Slade, uh, and, you know, last year, Brandon Smith, Lance Dixon, Caden Wallace. Uh, so there's there's a, a nice history for Penn State, and they'll be well represented. Three commitments expected down there in Texas in the next few days. Curtis Jacobs, the linebacker. Uh, you've got Olu Fashanu at offensive line. Uh, and then Enzo Jennings, the new commitment. And the interesting thing here is Jennings and uh, Jacobs sharing a seven-on-seven roster. They'll get a chance to you know gain a feel for each other as teammates. It is a highly competitive seven-on-seven tournament. A lot of big-time egos out there on the football field. Some of these guys wilt under the pressure. And I'm telling you what, I think Curtis Jacobs is going to go out there, make that stance for, for a rise in the rankings, show himself to be uh, up there with anyone at, at linebacker in terms of his range as a, a pass defender. Um, and, and, you know, also of note here, they're going to be sharing a linebacker core with Derek Wingo, who, who just left the class a few days ago, but also Court Williams out of uh, uh, Bosco in, uh, in California, Bellflower, California, a kid who made an official visit to Penn State recently. So uh, there's a lot of peer recruiting going on out there. I know I've kind of laid it all on the line, but I don't think all of our listeners really know what the opening finals is. So I wanted to, to, to get the summary out there. And Sean, now your thoughts. You've almost laid it all on the line. You shorted Penn State four commits out there. Golden Achumba is also going out. I'm sorry. Uh, He's listed as Golden Israel Achumba, so I'm sure you just overlooked him. But that'll be an interesting one. Achumba, I think, is made for these sort of events. I mean, you saw him. I saw the video clips from the Rivals Challenge last week. Our buddy Nate Bauer was down there uh, checking things out. Uh, but uh, now it was. Uh, it was uh, it was a good showing for Achumba. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that's just a rivals event, so we're not in to see everything. But uh, he looked good. I'm curious how Fashanu goes in this environment. I think we've mentioned it before that he's you know not tailor made for speed rush on the end and things like you know he's a, he's a really really good prospect. Is there's, there's a lot to like about uh, Ola Fashanu. You know, could end up being the best out of this Penn State class, but. He's just not tailor-made for this event. We've seen guys go down there before that end up being really good players that go down there before and struggle with that. Uh, Linebackers, not sure how much you can take out of this, but I think this does fit Curtis Jacobs very well. There's going to be a lot of seven-on-seven. There's going to be a lot of pass coverage. That's really what he thrives in. Just big, long, can get into passing lanes, can pick passes off. We saw that at camp last weekend up at Penn State. So uh, I think Jacobs probably has the most to gain out of this, out of the Penn State uh, commits that will be on board, or excuse me, on hand. Um, moving on, position groups, you're going to want, want to keep an eye on receiver. Keandre Lambert's a guy Penn State's really, uh, you know, really in with right now. And Parker Washington, to me, uh, probably a guy that can improve his stock. We have him a little bit lower on 24-7 sports. Curious to see how he tests when he's down there. Curious to see how he performs, you know, when he gets onto the big stage with guys like uh, Lambert and guys like uh, Julian Fleming and some of the best receivers in the country. Running backs, interesting. You've got Kaziah Holmes that the Penn State seems to be trending with on the on the crystal ball. Marshawn Lloyd's down there as well. He's a South Carolina commit at DeMatha, but Penn State's still staying in touch there. Theo Johnson, you know, tight ends are can be hit and miss. You can you can have really, really good events. You saw uh, the kid that went to Ohio State last year from Long Island. His name's escaping me right now, but he you know, he kind of blew up on the opening and did did really well. Uh, Theo Johnson's out there. He could he, he could have himself a week because he's a really good receiver. And then just a few notables. Uh, Isaiah Johnson, that's for the five star from West Virginia, will be there. Cody Simon, who was just at Penn State. Ryan Watts, the Oklahoma commit, he was just at Penn State. And you mentioned Court Williams. And then Nate Singleton. Uh, not many guys from Pennsylvania making the trip. Singleton is a 2022 kid from Governor Mifflin in the Reading area. He was at camp at Penn State last weekend. Really, I think uh, only one offer still from William and Mary, but he went to the Nike opening combine. And this is something that I love uh, that Brian Stumpf, Ronnie Torres, those guys are doing. He went to the opening combine before the D.C. camp, 
tested off the charts, did really well for a 2022 kid, and they're rewarding these guys that came out to the combine. So you can talk about the, the politics and all this stuff about the roster and everything, but they're actually sticking to the word. They're bringing the guys that are that, that did really well in the combine. Nick Singleton is is one of those guys. He's a running back, probably going to end up as a linebacker at the next level. It's a little early to mention, uh, you know, to project where he's going to go. Phenomenal athlete, but he camped to Penn State in June. He's going to come back to the camp uh, in in the end of July to work out on defense for Brent Pry. That's a guy that you can definitely watch down the road. Uh, really like what I've seen from him so far. Not quite sure where he projects, but really like what we've seen from from Nick Singleton so far. And what an honor for Singleton! I mean, twenty a rising. We're talking about a rising sophomore here. Uh, yeah, I think I think this is the first time they've done it this young. They they usually invite one, five or six. The uh, first guy who's done it, the first guy who ever did. It, I don't know if anyone's done it since at that age was Owen Papo, who was considered the top linebacker in his class and an eventual five star. He did make an, a visit to Penn State along the way. Did not sign with Penn State, obviously, but he was the first guy I've ever heard of, and I know he was the first ever. I don't know if anyone has followed that, but for Singleton to get that kind of invite, obviously. He's going to have to show up and and deal with guys who are more physically mature than he is and have been at this and and maybe been in these kind of high-stakes competitions longer. But what an opportunity for for this kid. I I mean, that's, that's really impressive. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see, and it's the best event of the summer by, by you know, obviously in in our view. So we see how we'll see how these guys st- uh, stack up on the big stage. Um, you know, you could see a guy like Parker Washington making strides. You can see how Keziah Holmes fits in as an elite athlete, and, and and of course the Penn State offensive line commits are guys that will have an eye on. You and I will not be there. Ronnie Torres, who we had on the podcast a month ago or so asked me if either of us were going out. I said, you moved it from Oregon to Dallas. I don't want to go to Dallas in July. Come on. But uh, Man, I'll so, tell you what, I had a couple of Fourth of July's out in Portland that I would not trade back for anything. Well, I was, I was going to go <laughs> at some awesome. point. My wife finally gave me the clearance because, you know, when, when it started going where I had the opportunity to go, I had a kid that year and it didn't, that really was not the, the, the choice to make. So I was able to uh, finagle my way into getting future uh, consideration to go. And then they moved it to Dallas. And I said, I'm, I'm not doing that. Forget it. I've got uh, yeah, and and one story I have here. Adam McLean had a uh, Penn State Nittany Lions logo yeah, yeah. shaved into his head. Uh, obviously, did not end up signing with Penn State, but that was a memorable moment. The other one, though, the other thing that I think you know our audience would can understand here is uh, it's a lot like a coaches con- like one of these national coaches conventions where people show up with their resumes and they're just kind of trying to network. These uncommitted recruits are going to be the center of attention. You know, shoot, a lot of these committed recruits, people are going to be working on trying to flip them to different programs. It is constantly uh, sales pitches, sales pitches. Media will encourage that. I remember being out there and talking to Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen back in 2014 about the the, the object of their desire at the time, Christian Kirk, a five-star wide receiver, and they both made their case and you know for, for kind of a piece that I was doing. And the crazy thing is, Sean, four years later, Josh Rosen and Christian Kirk end up in the same class, in the draft class with the Arizona Cardinals. Josh Rosen gets dumped, and then Christian Kirk now paired up with Kyler Murray. It's, I thought that was insane how that worked out, but it is a place where you're going to have not just Penn State commits targeting other guys, but I guarantee you you're going to have players coming up to Curtis Jacobs and Enzo Jennings and say, hey, you got to come with us. That's just the way it's going to work out there. Well, if you find that insane, I hope you get outside this weekend and you know, get uh, take care of uh, yourself to find some some more fun stories, but no, nah, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy how, how that worked out, but 
Uh, I'm going to leave this off to you. We're going to take a short break here. You're going to come back with Chris Hummer. And very briefly, Chris is, it, it does a fantastic job, not only on a national level writing for us, but taking things a step further. He wrote probably the best piece that you'll read all week when you talk about uh, analytics and, and how the schools like Penn State and Baylor, Matt, Matt Rule is how they had to do this at Temple is recruiting fast and recruiting guys that may not project as a good football player right now, but you got to look at those numbers. You got to look at those advanced spark metrics and see how they go from there. This was a fascinating piece. Andy Frank from Penn State was a big part of it, explaining how they do things with testing numbers, how they do things, you know, putting tape aside sometimes. It's just, it was a really fascinating piece, and I'm glad Chris got, uh, took a few minutes to, to talk to us about it. And from the opening, there will be a fresh set of verified results. Uh, they they monkeys, put them all through yes. the combine test again. So, so get ready for more. Sean, have a tremendous weekend. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Brandon Taylor on Friday evening. This should be up uh, before the, any announcement is out there. Uh, but we're moving on. Seven forty-five is what he said uh, on his tweet. So again, he did not say he was actually announcing, but uh, it sounds sounds pretty good. Big for announcement coming. Big That's announcement. Yes. So top fifteen commitment. Who knows the. Dinner choice, we will find out later. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's shift gears and go to one of 24-7 Sports uh, premier national writers, Chris Hummer, someone I've known for a few years now, someone who has been with 24-7 Sports for five years. Chris, first off, great to have you on the Lions 24-7 podcast. You've written some really intriguing content uh, this week, and I think it'll be helpful for our listening audience because college football is always evolving. Penn State is among programs trying to, to stay ahead of the curve in that department. Uh, so we're going to pick your brain a little bit. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I think premier might be a strong word. I'm definitely a national writer, but I'll leave that to guys like uh, Barton and Steve and Brandon and everybody. But I am definitely I am definitely here to talk about football, so I'm excited about that. Brian Doan currently working on a scouting report for Chris Summer as we speak, so we'll get to the bottom of, of how premier he is exactly. I'm a, I'm a mid-three-star for sure. I'm working my up to high three-star status. We'll put a poll up after this uh, to our podcast listeners and see how they feel about that, Chris. But let's jump into it because I, I, I want you to be able to flex your knowledge here did some great research and reach out for for your piece on college football analytics and analytics is a term that really became trendy I feel like with Moneyball and Billy Bean uh, with the Oakland A's and they made a movie out of it I think people are familiar with that hear about it more in the NBA college football now certainly is trending in that direction as you covered you spoke at length with a couple different people who are affiliated with Penn State in different ways Uh, one is Andy Frank player personnel director for the Nittany Lions, a guy who does a ton behind the scenes for James Franklin and that coaching staff and their ability to construct the roster. And then additionally, Matt Rule, former coach at Temple, former linebacker at Penn State, 
now the head coach at Baylor. And those were really the two resources you used to, to extract a lot of information. Let's start, though, with kind of the origins of pursuing this story. Was it something that kept popping up for you? Was it things that you had been hearing? Because obviously, this is somewhat unexplored territory. I think a lot of people are using analytics in college football, but not a lot of people have a grasp of how widespread it's becoming. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's an interesting subject. I feel like exploring things that are uh, haven't really been tapped is just interesting as a writer. And uh, I live in the state of Texas, so there's two schools that really kind of stand out in terms of er, offers. TCU has kind of long been the team that's out in front of everybody in terms of finding kind of under-the-radar guys who eventually blow up. And the last couple of years, Baylor's kind of uh, jumped into that territory as a team other people follow offers with. And uh, just knowing the industry and talking to some people, um, Baylor is a team that has long prioritized like really big, fast, long athletes. And I realize that most schools probably prioritize that, but Baylor kind of took it in a new direction and really prioritized track results and everything else that goes with that. And kind of talking to people nationally who pay attention to these things, Charles Power, one of our national analysts, is a great resource for that. We're also pretty aware that Penn State uh, looks at recruiting in a very similar fashion. I know James Franklin's long been a proponent of kind of uh, analytics-based recruiting and analytics-based results. He uh, was a panelist at the Sloan Conference in 2015. And uh, just looking at what those two programs have done the last three or four years in terms of their takes, like I wanted to center the story that I wrote about recruiting and college analytics, analytics around them because they both do a really good job focusing in on the numbers when they kind of attack recruiting. And it leads to a very different approach than some other programs. Now, whether it's 2019 or 1955, I think all college coaches across the country want to find guys who are big and fast, right? But why is this different? Yeah, well, there's two reasons. One, because big and fast seems okay on the surface, but like without numbers to kind of back up how big and fast a person is, it's difficult to kind of uh, parse what the numbers mean. A person could be big and fast compared to their position or their size. Like, that's something you always hear. Like, a person is big and fast for his size. But, like, if you're 400 pounds, you're still not going to be big and fast enough to make up for the fact that you're 400 pounds playing offensive guard in the Big Ten. Like, you're really looking for somebody that's big and fast for his position. And analytics and numbers can really help show that a person has traits that would translate in that regard very uh, easily and it, without question, really. When you have numbers, it kind of backs up what you see with your eyes. That's kind of the biggest thing. And second, it helps schools kind of identify people in areas that they might have missed before. It might help them get on a guy earlier because they see their verified track times, they see their verified spark scores, and they know that's a guy they can really pursue or really need to at least pay attention to in terms of film. And sometimes those guys in the past, maybe if they were out in West Texas or in the Great Plains region of the United States, could potentially slip through the cracks. So numbers kind of help with both aspects of those things. Something I've definitely observed here on the beat at Penn State is the prioritization of verified testing numbers for this coaching staff and determining who they're going to full-fledged target and, and, and want to take a commitment from. Um, you wrote a little bit about that and the verified testing numbers, the correlation between broad jump and, and the term twitch. Uh, one of the uh, defensive linemen actually just committed to Penn State, Fatorma Mulba, produced a big time broad jump number, let, helped lead to an offer for a six foot three, 270 pound guy. 
what are you hearing? I mean, it, are there still programs out there who are basing 40 times off of different camp results? How are teams who don't verify uh, actually making sure they're making the right choice? And, and is there any kind of risk-reward for Penn State, uh, considering they are pretty adamant about getting guys on home turf to, to do these kind of measurings? Yeah, I think verification is something all schools seek. I wouldn't say it's like exclusive to Penn State or exclusive to Baylor. Like everybody wants a person on camp at camp. Like getting a person on campus where you can kind of get your hands on them, use your testing results is the ideal. But I think Penn State is one of those programs that is more rigorous in terms of like their adherence to that, and that really helps protect them in the long run from kind of dodgy results. I guess you could say. Um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with using Spark scores or Nike testing results or even track times as a baseline, but it's always going to be better when you kind of get a person on the campus. Uh, now, what you were saying, is there a risk? I think there's always a risk, especially with high-profile targets, when you're like essentially saying like you're not going to get an offer unless you come to camp. Um, I think at that point, it's really important to get people on campus as early as possible. Uh, we know what the camp grind can be like for 16 and 17 year olds and the earlier you can kind of get them there the better with that relationship but generally i think it's better to at least have an idea of what you're getting and if you can get a guy on campus to go to camp and you can get those verified broad jump results in 40 times it's a huge help and this week uh, to your point we just entered a phase now for 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 the next few weeks with the dead period where prospects can't be on campus so uh, it certainly is going to, you know, like you said, um, encourage guys to get on campus earlier, perhaps in the process, rather than waiting until before their senior year. You you wrote about player athletic index. It's a term I don't think a lot of people are familiar with, but it sounds like it's it's driving the narrative a little bit for programs like Penn State. Yeah, well, Penn State isn't Penn State is a program that relies heavily on what's available numbers wise, so they use. Nike testing results, they really, really hammer home being on camps. Being at camps. But um, the Player Athletic Index is a formula developed by a company called Tracking Football. Uh, it's a NCAA-compliant scouting service that will basically whip up a formula to determine how athletic a person is. Um, this is based on track times, so they historically compare, uh, I think they have over 70,000 people in their database, like, for instance, it works on a scale of 1 to 5. Bo Jackson is a person who is an easy 5. Like, you could imagine that. And uh, with those kind of baselines, you can see how athletic a person is compared to maybe people in history. And that anecdotal evidence also kind of helps coaches understand. But it, it's another, like, um, hardline, numbers-based way of looking at how athletic a person is. And when you know that, you can at least know that they can compete on the Power 5 level you know, if they would fit in your roster on the FCS level or the F or the uh, group of five level or what have you. And that like index is a really powerful way to kind of approach recruiting because it gives you uh, just like a fact. And I think when you work out of facts with numbers, it's a huge help kind of streamlining and narrowing a board. Chris, you had a chance to pick up some brownie points by mentioning Saquon Barkley. You went the Bo Jackson route. That's okay. Actually, Saquon, the funny thing is like, this is a testament to what Penn State does from a strength and conditioning standpoint. But Saquon, I believe, was like a 3.7 out of 5. And, like, he left campus as a 5 out of 5. But that kind of shows you that a strength and conditioning program and a plan for an athlete and being able to identify those traits can help advance a player once they get to campus. I thought an interesting uh, takeaway for me from from your article uh, and your conversation with, uh, again, Penn State uh, Director of Player Personnel, Andy Franks, 
was the fact that that he said he, he kind of looks at the recruiting trail like a stock market and the way he assesses things. And one of the quotes from, from your story is, from Andy, is a kid athletic enough to be on our practice field? And, and, and if your answer is no, then why are you pursuing? So what, what was your biggest takeaway from the conversation with Andy and, and the way Penn State is trying to capitalize on every scholarship offer they have available? As you're saying, it's a it's a great way to maximize your 85 scholarships. Like if you go into this thinking you're going to make an exception, you're going to have a roster eventually full of exceptions. That's kind of the way of thinking about this. And I realize that there are always going to be maybe like one or two kids, the cycle, where you're like, this guy can just play football. He may be a great fit on special teams. He might be a great locker room guy. Like he might be ready to play right away. But generally, if you're trying to build a championship program, especially maybe not from a traditional blue blood status. And I know Penn State is perfectly capable of recruiting five stars. And in the past, Penn State has historically been a program that can do that. But even like the situation James Franklin inherited and uh, Andy Frank inherited at Penn State wasn't that. Uh, They took over a program that had gone through a lot of things. They took over a program that really needed to be rebuilt. And they took a long-term kind of numbers-based analytical approach to how they were going to build out their roster. Uh, there were two back-to-back seven and six seasons that I know upset a lot of people in, in Happy Valley. I know people were worried about that, but they were stocking their roster full of kids who could really run and who could compete at the highest level versus teams like Ohio State and Michigan that always have the best players and the best prospects. And the way Penn State goes about things, even in today's era where they're landing guys like Michael Parsons, you know, those top five, top ten overall talents, allows them to both kind of attack things from a short-term standpoint in terms of bringing in, like, high-profile guys, but it also allows them to have an eye towards the future in terms of highly projectable guys that can turn into something down the line. So it's Penn State kind of approaches it with the best of both worlds in that way. This feels like a season, Chris, that 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 really could take precedent and that could be really an important storyline because we're looking at a program uh, that has now moved on from those guys they signed in 2014, 2015, uh, maybe held in a less athletic regard, many of them, than the guys they're signing the last few classes. And, and now these younger players, I think particularly the class of 2018, that, that was the top-ranked recruiting class for Penn State in the history of 24-7 sports rankings, are they ready to become that foundational part of the roster in 2019? I think that's a huge question about where this program can get this season. You had a fascinating point that I wasn't quite aware of in terms of how this correlates to producing NFL talent, which is obviously a tool you can use within your locker room to motivate guys and a tool you can use on the recruiting trail to bring players to campus because they know they can bridge that gap from high school to the NFL if they go and they drink the Kool-Aid and, and, and do what they need to do in a system led by Dwight Gold. But you mentioned Temple because Matt Rule, when he was there, since the 2016 year, 11 players drafted out of Temple by NFL franchises. During that same span, eight drafted by the Texas Longhorns down in your neck of the woods. And then I'll point to Penn State, 12 players drafted in the last two years. That's the, the most in a consecutive draft classes for Penn State and in about a 25-year span. So is this all making sense? Is this all correlated, or, or am I reaching too much? No, I think that makes I think that makes perfect sense. And to your point earlier when you said you're not going to really be able to rely on that 2014-2013 class anymore with this Penn State roster, that if you're a Penn State fan, that has to give you a little bit of faith 
the way you've seen kind of guys transform on campus, that they're going to have guys ready to kind of step into those roles. If you look at the NFL Combine, especially in 2018, when Saquon was there and there were quite a few other Penn State players that made a splash. They Troy, Troy Apke. Troy Apke, he could run run, as Dion said. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, some white lightning over there for sure. <laughs> but, uh, like, they killed it. And that's, that's a huge credit to both Penn State's ability to identify players that have these athletic traits that you're looking for. And then secondarily, which is the more important part of this process, and I touched on that a little bit in the piece, you have to be able to develop them. And Penn State's shown that they can take really good athletes and turn them into better ones once they get on campus. And if that happens, you're usually going to be pretty okay on the field. Because at the end of the day, in football, I realize scheme matters and I realize a lot of other factors matter. But what we've seen historically in national championships is the team with the most dudes usually wins or at least the team with the dudes can get there. There has, I think we've been tracking the stats since like 1998, uh, since the start of the BCS era. You've ha- Every team that's competed for a national championship has had at least one five-star on their roster. So you have to have a certain baseline of talent. And by kind of taking this approach and developing players with that talent, but also maybe with like higher athletic ceilings and some other high-profile prospects, you give yourself the best chance to compete for championships. Yeah, and and you also said sometimes, and and really often now you see, you may pass up on a kid who's more polished, a a lot more accomplished at the high school level, but has that lower ceiling versus somebody who maybe didn't even pick up football until later in the process because they were focused on basketball or focused on track. And, And we've seen Penn State scoop up some guys like that who were a little bit late to the party in their football careers end up on campus, and a couple years later, all of a sudden they look like football players the thing with football is there's always that you know, the, the pushback and, and, and there's always someone who thinks they're going to figure it out and we see things come, become a little cyclical. Do you think this analytical approach on the recruiting trail is something that's only going to continue to gain steam or do you think there is some room for pushback and I guess it depends on what corner of the country you're in, what campus, what coaching staff, but uh, is this the future of college football recruiting? Yeah, and to your point just a second ago, like Jason Oway, who I'm sure guys are patiently waiting for at Penn State, is a perfect example of that. Yeah. I don't think he would have been a high four-star 10 years ago had we evaluated it, but he has the testing results and kind of the way at 24-7 sports our evaluators look at that. They see those uh, kind of testing numbers and they project, and that's exactly what Penn State does really well. As for it kind of becoming the norm in college football, uh, I think I think we all know college football coaches can be a little stubborn. Uh numbers aren't always the most popular thing in a coaching room but you're starting to see over time more coaches and more teams kind of embracing that idea i don't think we're ever going to get to the point where it's like moneyball on the uh, mlb level where you're seeing teams like put in shifts every night and like spin rate and launch rate off the bat is prioritized more over people with like a higher batting average but like this will eventually become a resource that smart teams utilize And the fact that schools like Penn State and Baylor are ahead of the curve on this is going to be huge over the long term because those are the teams that are going to reap the benefits early. Uh, And, yeah, it's just it's an interesting subject. And I I strongly believe teams at the forefront of this now will stand to benefit the most over the long term. Yeah, and it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, as James Franklin and the staff, uh, you know, continue to take this approach. There's just something about that kid who, you know, throws the basketball down, picks up a football when he's 16, 17 years old and produces those kind of testing numbers. More often than not, you think maybe that's the kid who ends up being the first-round pick four or five years down the line. It's because there's so much room for growth. 
Um, another issue that is definitely impacting player personnel decisions across college football, Chris, is the transfer market right now. It is just I, I, a lot of people are trying to wrap their minds about it. I think it's been the storyline of the offseason, especially at the quarterback spot, whether it's Justin Fields, Tate Martell. We're talking big-time talent, uh, blue-chip prospects who did not stay at their initial college landing spot for more than a year or two. You wrote about the, what the NCAA is, is maybe going to try to roll back here. and um, Why don't you just give us a general overview of how we got to this point and how the NCAA maybe thinks they can, I don't want to say fix because I don't think they will, but how they think they can address uh, what has popped up over the course of these last few months. I mean, transfers have always been, I mean, we all know transfers have been a part of college football and college athletics for a long time. Players are always going to be unhappy. Players are always going to want to leave. Players are always going to think they're not getting enough playing time. Like That's just a very natural course of action and course of a process in college football. Um what we've seen the last year or so is really kind of a product of a sh- change the NCAA made about a year and a half ago to their rules in terms of their waivers. Essentially, they made an alteration that said that if a player um, feels uncomfortable or feels like they're at risk at their school, like their health or their safety is at risk or their well-being is at risk, they have grounds for what it, for a waiver, essentially. So if they transfer, they can play right away. And uh, that alteration of the rules and kind of the advent of the transfer portal at the same time has spurred what is a significant increase in waiver requests. I feel like every transfer that you see now, even if they were just like a freshman leaving campus after six months, says they're going to pursue a waiver And the numbers are way up on that. I believe there are 21 waiver requests in 2016-17 as a whole. And uh, in the 2018-19 calendar year, there are 60 thus far. So we've seen a real uptick in kind of waiver requests and waiver appeals. And with decisions like Tate Martell and with Justin Fields being granted immediate eligibility, uh, there wasn't a lot of clarification on either one of those, and they came with questions. And when you have situations like that, when they're granted immediate eligibility and somebody like Luke Ford at Illinois, who transferred uh, closer to home to be near his sick grandparents, and he's denied, it kind of causes an outcry of kind of uh, public vitriol towards the NCAA. And what the NCAA did the other day was essentially alter their rules to make them more stringent. Uh, I think clarification is often a good thing. Uh, if you have clarification of the rule, and there have been a lot of questions about this process, it's a positive. But what the NCAA did the other day was essentially make it harder for a player to get eligibility. But on top of that, they are saying, essentially, if you're a student looking to transfer to be closer to a sick family member, you need to provide a health care plan about how you're going to help, stu- help said family member. And I think as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, like, I would your idea of helping said family member is being close to them and spending time with them while they're sick. Like the way the rule reads now, essentially like you have to go uh, change their bedpan and take their temperature. You can't just be there to get to know your grandparent a little bit better before maybe they leave you. That's that can't be what the reason is. The way the rule alteration reads, no, you have to have a treatment plan of how you help in that. Um, Mm. It could be just like a poorly written statement. Uh, We haven't really gotten clarification on that yet, but yeah, like, you can't just be around your grandparent for like maybe potentially the last six months of their lives and kind of get to know them better for that type of thing. And I think that's just part of the reason why the NCAA has taken so much flack over the last couple of days and also 
perfectly honest over the last like 20 or 30 years. You, you br- brought up a term there that I think is very much at the crux of this, at least the way I view it, well-being. How can anyone else define someone's personal well-being, whether it's an NCAA panel, a coaching staff? I think as long as that is part of it, that's very difficult to, to have some kind of lack of gray area. And additionally, when you talk about this transfer market and the transfer portal, it's given a lot of power to players that didn't exist before. Is it possible for the NCAA to truly rein that back in without dealing with repercussions? I, I don't think so. I think I think the uh, genie is sort of out of the bottle on this one. Uh what you saw the other day, or what you saw on Wednesday, I think was a bit of a course correction. It was a band-aid for the short term, kind of make the rules more stringent while they figure out a long-term plan. Uh, we've already seen the NCAA take a hard look at transfer rules the last two years. Um, there were multiple policies uh, a year and a half ago that were taken a look at by the Division One Council that weren't passed. Uh, the transfer changes that we saw in terms of the portal were essentially a middle ground solution. But I just think given the landscape and the kind of the player empowerment movement era that we're in, eventually the NCAA is going to be forced to kind of get in lockstep with what we currently see as what should be the norm. Uh, In California, there's currently a bill that says in 2023, if passed, uh, players will be be able to take advantage of their likeness and be paid. I think that's something the NCAA is dealing with right now. And I think there's a lot of things kind of caving in on the NCAA at once. And they're either going to crumble over the long term or they're going to kind of change. And I, I'm i willing to bet over the next year to three years we're going to see some additional significant changes that favor the athletes a little bit more in these situations. Here in State College, we've heard James Franklin you know, express concern not really about players having the freedom to explore their options, but really uh, the lack of clarity that was given to college football coaches from the NCAA about what exactly this would entail. It just seemed like something that may have been a bit rushed out for a lot of, a lot of programs, and, and it kind of you know, maybe took them aback a little bit. You've got your finger on the pulse across the country, Chris. What's kind of been the reaction on the other end of this when you're talking about a coaching staff? We know that they invest two, three, sometimes even four years recruiting some of these players to campus, and you know, if things go off track, you know, six months into their college career and they say they want to get in that transfer portal and there's not much you can do about it, it's obviously frustrating on their end. How are coaches dealing with this situation? Yeah, it's, it's as you said, it's super difficult. I think this rule, the transfer portal was essentially enacted in May or June. And then three months later during the middle of the season, it opened. And I don't, I think very few coaches expected like prominent players to enter the portal so quickly during the middle of the season. Kelly Bryant was a, like the most notable example, but a guy like Jalen McCleskey, he was a starting wide receiver at Oklahoma State. Four games in, he entered his name in the portal, and the Oklahoma State coaches were a little blindsided by it. Uh, and I think we've seen situations like that arise time after time over time after time in the transfer portal era. Uh, you don't have to tell your coach that you're going to enter the portal. You just go to compliance, submit your name, they enter it. And uh, that's, a, that's a huge headache for coaches because essentially uh, you're – not only recruiting future classes, but at this point you're almost recruiting kids to stay on campus. And that's that's a really difficult thing to do, especially early in a player's tenure. I think we've already seen 6 to 10 2019 kids transfer, and some of them hadn't been on campus for more than three months, Brew McCoy being a notable example, Chris Steele being a notable example. And uh, when you're homesick, especially early in your college career, that's like that's something you have to deal with. And then 
if you're in year one or year two and you're not playing, which used to be a very normal thing, like coaches are also having to deal with like massaging egos about playing time and you're essentially recruiting two different things at this point, and it's extremely difficult on coaches for sure. There is definitely a lot of ass-kissing involved in the recruiting process, but the deal has always been that that ends when you get to campus, and, and that part <laughs> of your life is over, and now it's go time. I know that transition, though, is tough for a lot of recruits, going from seeing the coach as someone who's kind of putting rose petals at your feet, all of a sudden as someone who is challenging you and, and, and tra- challenging you to grow as a man, I think you're absolutely right. It is something that can send a shockwave to the system, and this could lead to more rash decisions. I guess the last phase of this, Chris, as we continue to learn about the impact, and we're going to still dissect it. For me, it's a lot like the new NCAA calendar with the early official visit window, the early signing period. We're all still trying to evolve to this, and I know coaching staffs are there is a, a chapter that is yet to be told here with the transfer market because we are now you know, under 70 days till kickoff. There are a lot of people who put their name in that transfer portal, shifted gears, still searching for home. There's just not enough Power 5 FBS scholarship offers out there to match the need for guys who I'd imagine probably thought they were going to be in good shape by now. Yeah, not even close. I think uh, I took a look at the numbers and I believe early June – And there were over, I believe, like 400 FBS prospects without homes at this point. And that's a significant number. And at the end of the day, the numbers should line up, like should being the keyword. Because if you've got guys jumping up from the FCS and you've got guys jumping up from JUCO, there should be spots for everyone. But like, if you're a kid, you have to take a really close examination of like your options after you leave. Because there might not be a spot for you, as you said. I think we've seen... Most Power 5 kids, I would say the large majority of them, have dropped to the Group of 5 level or perhaps even the FCS level because they were unhappy with their playing time, exited without talking to their coaches, and then didn't really have as many options as they thought. So I'm personally all for player empowerment in this option. Like If you feel like leaving is your best opportunity, you should leave. But like in any situation in life, you have to take a really close look at how kind of this could affect you in the long run. And I'm not sure everybody's kind of doing that early in this transfer portal process. And I think a lot of wake-up calls are being served out there. Maybe guys who were four-star prospects came to campus, just never really materialized that way, thought it was the coaching staff's fault that they weren't playing. They go out in the open market, and all of a sudden, three years after their recruitment, they are not the hot commodity. Their eligibility is dwindling, and they haven't really been involved in game competition. So I think the F- FBS is going to be, or FCS, I should say, is going to be a beneficiary here, in my opinion, as we look forward a little bit. Chris, thank you so much. You've given us a ton of time um, breaking it down from a national perspective, something that we really don't do often here. And it's good to zoom out sometimes, and it helps It helps us kind of understand what the heck is going around the, the campuses that, that dot this country coast to coast. So Thank you very much. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to reading your continued stuff on uh, 24-7 Sports. Where can, uh, where can our listeners give you a follow on Twitter? Yeah, my Twitter username is Chris underscore Hummer. I'm still rocking the underscore for some reason, and uh, thanks for having me on, man. It was fun. And that actually wasn't the entire conversation we had with Chris Hummer. We'll bring you up to speed on the Big Ten at large next week. I spoke with Chris for an additional 15, 20 minutes about – Penn State's Big Ten East opponents that they're going to have to go through if they want to get back to Indianapolis for the conference championship game and also try to figure out what the heck to make of the Big Ten West where it really could be up for grabs. 
So look forward to that conversation next week. Uh, for Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for joining us for this lengthy uh, episode here on a Friday. I hope it starts off a great weekend for you. Again, Brandon Taylor commitment potentially coming your way on a Friday evening. So stay tuned for coverage of that if it does go down on lines 24-7. Uh, for now, we'll step away and we'll talk to you again next week.